Section 9. Is There No Help? Part 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. It may be said by those who have followed me to this point that while it is quite true that there are many who are out of work, and not less true that there are many who sleep on the embankment and elsewhere, the law has provided a remedy, or, if not a remedy, at least a method, of dealing with these sufferers, which is sufficient. The secretary of the Charity Organization Society assured one of my officers, who went to inquire for his opinion on the subject, that no further machinery was necessary. All that was needed in this direction they already had in working order, and to create any further machinery would do more harm than good. Now, what is the existing machinery by which society, whether through the organization of the state or by individual endeavor, attempts to deal with the submerged residuum? I had intended at one time to have devoted considerable space to the description of the existing agencies, together with certain observations which have been forcibly impressed upon my mind as to their failure and its cause. The necessity, however, of subordinating everything to the supreme purpose of this book, which is to endeavor to show how light can be let into the heart of darkest England, compels me to pass rapidly over this department of the subject, merely glancing as I go at the well-meaning, but more or less abortive attempts to cope with this great and appalling evil. The first place must naturally be given to the administration of the poor law. Legally, the state accepts the responsibility of providing food and shelter for every man, woman, or child who is utterly destitute. This responsibility it, however, practically shirks by the imposition of conditions on the claimants of relief that are hateful and repulsive, if not impossible. As to the method of poor law administration in dealing with inmates of workhouses, or in the distribution of outdoor relief, I say nothing. Both of these raise great questions which lie outside my immediate purpose. All that I need to do is to indicate the limitations, it may be the necessary limitations, under which the poor law operates. No Englishman can come upon the rates so long as he has anything whatever left to call his own. When long-continued destitution has been carried on to the bitter end, when, piece by piece, every article of domestic furniture has been sold or pawned, when all efforts to procure employment have failed, and when you have nothing left except the clothes in which you stand, then you can present yourself before the relieving officer and secure your lodging in the workhouse the administration of which varies infinitely according to the disposition of the board of governors under whose control it happens to be. If, however, you have not sunk to such despair as to be willing to barter your liberty for the sake of food, clothing, and shelter in the workhouse, but are only temporarily out of employment seeking work, then you can go to the casual ward. There you are taken in, 
and provided for on the principle of making it as disagreeable as possible for yourself in order to deter you from again accepting the hospitality of the rates and of course in defense of this a good deal can be said by the political economist but what seems utterly indefensible is the careful precautions which are taken to render it impossible for the unemployed casual to resume promptly after his night's rest the search for work under the existing regulations if you are compelled to seek refuge on monday night in the casual ward you are bound to remain there at least till wednesday morning the theory of the system is this that individuals casually poor and out of work being destitute and without shelter may upon application receive shelter for the night supper and a breakfast and in return for this shall perform a task of work not necessarily in repayment for the relief received but simply as a test of their willingness to work for their living the work given is the same as that given to felons in jail oakum picking and stone breaking the work too is excessive in proportion to what is received four pounds of oakum is a great task to an expert and an old hand to a novice it can only be accomplished with the greatest difficulty if indeed it can be done at all it is even in excess of the amount demanded from a criminal in jail the stone-breaking test is monstrous half a ton of stone from any man in return for partially supplying the cravings of hunger is an outrage which if we read of as having occurred in russia or siberia would find exeter hall crowded with an indignant audience and hyde park filled with strong oratory but because the system exists at our own doors very little notice is taken of it these tasks are expected from all comers starved ill-clad half-fed creatures from the streets footsore and worn out and yet unless it is done the alternative is the magistrate and the jail the old system was bad enough which demanded the picking of one pound of oakum as soon as this task was accomplished which generally kept them till the middle of the day it was thus rendered impossible for them to seek work and they were forced to spend another night in the ward the local government board however stepped in and the casual was ordered to be detained for the whole day and the second night the amount of labor required from him being increased fourfold under the present system therefore the penalty for seeking shelter from the streets is a whole day and two nights with an almost impossible task which failing to do the victim is liable to be dragged before a magistrate and committed to jail as a rogue and a vagabond while in the casual ward their treatment is practically that of a criminal they sleep in a cell with an apartment at the back in which the work is done receiving at night half a pound of gruel and eight ounces of bread and next morning the same for breakfast with half a pound of oakum and stones to occupy himself for a day the beds are mostly of the plank type the coverings scant the comfort nil 
be it remembered that this is the treatment meted out to those who are supposed to be casual poor in temporary difficulty walking from place to place seeking some employment the treatment of women is as follows each casual has to stay in the casual ward two nights and one day during which time they have to pick two pounds of oakum or go to the wash tub and work out the time there while at the wash tub they are allowed to wash their own clothes but not otherwise if seen more than once in the same casual ward they are detained three days by order of the inspector each time seen or if sleeping twice in the same month the master of the ward has power to detain them three days there are four inspectors who visit different casual wards and if the casual is seen by any of the inspectors who in turn visit all the casual wards at any of the wards they have previously visited they are detained three days in each one the inspector who is a male person visits the wards at all unexpected hours even visiting while the females are in bed the beds are in some wards composed of straw and two rugs in others coconut fiber and two rugs the casuals rise at five forty five a m and go to bed at seven p m if they do not finish picking their oakum before seven p m they stay up till they do if a casual does not come to the ward before twelve thirty midnight they keep them one day extra the way in which this operates however can best be understood by the following statements made by those who have been in casual wards and who can therefore speak from experience as to how the system affects the individual j c knows casual wards pretty well has been in st giles whitechapel st george's paddington marylebone mile end they vary a little in detail but as a rule the doors open at six you walk in they tell you what the work is and that if you fail to do it you will be liable to imprisonment then you bathe some places the water is dirty three persons as a rule wash in one water at whitechapel been there three times it has always been dirty also at st george's i had no bath at mile end they were short of water if you complain they take no notice you then tie your clothes in a bundle and they give you a nightshirt at most places they serve supper to the men who have to go to bed and eat it there some beds are in cells some in large rooms you get up at six a m and do the task the amount of stone breaking is too much and the oakum picking is also heavy the food differs at st giles the gruel left overnight is boiled up for breakfast and is consequently sour the bread is puffy full of holes and don't weigh the regulation amount dinner is only eight ounces of bread and one and a half ounces of cheese and it's that's short how can anybody do their work they will give you water to drink if you ring the cell bell for it that is they will tell you to wait and bring it in about a half an hour there are a good lot of moochers go to casual wards but there are large numbers of men who only want work j d age twenty five londoner q 
can't get work, tried hard, been refused work several times on account of having no settled residence. Looks suspicious, they think, to have no home. Seems a decent, willing man. Had two penny worth of soup this morning, which has lasted all day. Earned one shilling sixpence yesterday, bill distributing. Nothing the day before. Been good many London casual wards. Thinks they are no good because they keep him all day when he might be seeking work. Don't want shelter in daytime. Wants work. If he goes in twice in a month to the same casual ward, they detain him four days. Considers the food decidedly insufficient to do the required amount of work. If the work is not done to time, you are liable to twenty-one days imprisonment. Get badly treated some places, especially where there is a bullying superintendent has done twenty-one days for absolutely refusing to do the work on such low diet when unfit. Can't get justice. Doctor always sides with superintendent. J.S., odd jobber, is working at board carrying when he can get it. There's quite a rush for it at one shilling toppence a day. Carried a couple of parcels yesterday, got five pence for them. Had also a bit of bread and meat given him by a working man, so altogether had an excellent day. Sometimes goes all day without food, and plenty more do the same. Sleeps on embankment, and now and then in casual ward. Ladder is clean and comfortable enough, but they keep you in all day. That means no chance of getting work. Was a clerk once, but got out of a job and couldn't get another. There are so many clerks. A tramp says, I've been in most casual wards in London. Was in the one in Macklin Street, Drury Lane, last week. They keep you two nights in a day, and more than that, if they recognize you. You have to break ten hundred weight of stone or pick four pounds of oakum. Both are hard. About thirty a night go to Macklin Street. The food is one pint gruel, six ounces bread for breakfast, eight ounces bread and one and one half ounce cheese for dinner. Tea, same as breakfast, no supper. It is not enough to do the work on. Then you are obliged to bathe, of course. Sometimes three will bathe in one water, and if you complain, they turn nasty and ask if you are come to a palace. Mitchum workhouse I've been in. Grub is good. One and one-half pint gruel and eight-ounce spread for breakfast and same for supper. F.K.W. Baker. Been board-carrying today, earned one shilling. Hours nine till five. I've been on this kind of life six years. Used to work in a bakery, but had congestion of the brain and couldn't stand the heat. I've been in about every casual ward in England. They treat men too harshly. Have to work very hard, too. Has had to work whilst really unfit. At Peckham, known as Camberwell Union, was quite unable to do it through weakness and appeal to the doctor, who, taking the part of the other officials, as usual, refused to allow him to forego the work. Cheeked the doctor, telling him he didn't understand his work. Result got three days imprisonment. 
before going to a casual ward at all, I spent seven consecutive nights on the embankment, and at last went to the ward. The result of the deliberate policy of making the night refuge for the unemployed laborer as disagreeable as possible, and of placing as many obstacles as possible in the way of his finding work the following day, is, no doubt, to minimize the number of casuals, and without question, succeeds. In the whole of London, the number of casuals in the wards at night is only 1,136. That is to say, the conditions which are imposed are so severe that the majority of the out-of-works prefer to sleep in the open air, taking their chance of the inclemency and mutability of our English weather, rather than go through the experience of the casual ward. It seems to me that such a mode of coping with distress does not so much meet the difficulty as evade it. It is obvious that an apparatus which only provides for 1,136 persons per night is utterly unable to deal with the numbers of the homeless out of works. But if, by some miracle, we could use the casual wards as a means of providing for all those who are seeking work from day to day, without a place in which to lay their heads, save the curbstone of the pavement or the back of a seat on the embankment, they would utterly fail to have any appreciable effect upon the mass of human misery with which we have to deal. For this reason, the administration of the casual wards is mechanical, perfunctory, and formal. Each of the casuals is to the officer in charge merely one casual the more. There is no attempt whatever to do more than provide for them merely the indispensable requisites of existence. There has never been any attempt to treat them as human beings, to deal with them as individuals, to appeal to their hearts, to help them on their legs again. They are simply units, no more thought of and cared for than if they were so many coffee beans passing through a coffee mill. And as the net result of all my experience and observation of men and things, I must assert unhesitatingly that anything which dehumanizes the individual, anything which treats a man as if he were only a number of a series or a cog in a wheel, without any regard to the character, the aspirations, the temptations, and the idiosyncrasies of the man, must utterly fail as a remedial agency. The casual ward, at the best, is merely a squalid resting place for the casual in his downward career. If anything is to be done for these men, it must be done by other agents than those which prevail in the administration of the poor laws. The second method in which society endeavors to do its duty to the lapsed masses is by the miscellaneous and heterogeneous efforts which are clubbed together under the generic head of charity. Far be it from me to say one word in disparagement of any effort that is prompted by a sincere desire to alleviate the misery of our fellow creatures, but the most charitable are those who most deplore the utter failure which has, up till now, attended all their efforts to do more than temporarily alleviate pain, 
or effect an occasional improvement in the condition of individuals. There are many institutions, very excellent in their way, without which it is difficult to see how society could get on at all. But when they have done their best, there still remains this great and appalling mass of human misery on our hands, a perfect quagmire of human sludge. They may ladle out individuals here and there, but to drain the whole bog is an effort which seems to be beyond the imagination of most of those who spend their lives in philanthropic work. It is no doubt better than nothing to take the individual and feed him from day to day, to bandage up his wounds and heal his diseases. But you may go on doing that forever if you do not do more than that. And the worst of it is that all authorities agree that if you only do that, you will probably increase the evil with which you are attempting to deal, and that you had much better let the whole thing alone. There is at present no attempt at concerted action. Each one deals with the case immediately before him, and the result is what might be expected. There is a great expenditure, but the gains are, alas, very small. The fact, however, that so much is subscribed for the temporary relief and the mere alleviation of distress justifies my confidence that if a practical scheme of dealing with this misery in a permanent, comprehensive fashion be discovered, there will be no lack of the sinews of war. It is well, no doubt, sometimes to administer an anesthetic, but the cure of the patient is worth ever so much more and the latter is the object which we must constantly set before us in approaching this problem. The third method by which society professes to attempt the reclamation of the lost is by the rough, rude surgery of the jail. Upon this a whole treatise might be written, but when it was finished it would be nothing more than a demonstration that our prison system has practically missed aiming at that which should be the first essential of every system of punishment. It is not reformatory. It is not worked as if it were intended to be reformatory. It is punitive and only punitive. The whole administration needs to be reformed from top to bottom in accordance with this fundamental principle, that while every prisoner should be subjected to that measure of punishment which shall mark a due sense of his crime both to himself and society, the main object should be to rouse in his mind the desire to lead an honest life and to effect that change in his disposition and character which will send him forth to put that desire into practice. At present, every prison is more or less a training school for crime, an introduction to the society of criminals, the petrification of any lingering human feeling, and a very bastille of despair. The prison brand is stamped upon those who go in, and that so deeply that it seems as if it clung to them for life. To enter prison once means, in many cases, an almost certain return there at an early date. All this has to be changed, and will be, 
when once the work of prison reform is taken in hand by men who understand the subject who believe in the reformation of human nature in every form which its depravity can assume and who are in full sympathy with the class for whose benefit they labor and when those charged directly with the care of criminals seek to work out their regeneration in the same spirit end of section nine recording by tom hirsch